When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary. Because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. It will be to the benefit of everybody to achieve a ceasefire. I was expressing my outrage at the behavior of this man. Executive privilege doesn't belong to just any White House official. It belongs to the president. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. This is the reality of of fast-moving events that the White House has no control over. Most presidents' budgets are dead on arrival. This one's dead before arrival. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Russia says it's cutting military activity in Ukraine. The U.S. skeptical, as we may have seen this movie before. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as President Biden meets with our European allies on Ukraine and his budget director testifies on Capitol Hill a day after the president dropped an almost $6 trillion budget. We'll talk about it ahead with Congressman Brian Stile, Republican from Wisconsin, serves on the House Financial Services Committee. Talks between Russia and Ukraine generate some optimism. Is it misguided, though? As I mentioned, a lot of skeptics in Washington today will ask James Jeffrey, former U.S. ambassador to Iraq. And as the House prepares to vote on legalizing marijuana this week, we're joined by the man known inside the Beltway as the pot lobbyist. Michael Correa will be here a bit later. Busy guy lately, from what we understand. Our panel today, Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano, along with George C. of Annandale Capital. The Biden administration is once again waiting for evidence of de-escalation. This is a familiar feeling. After Russia announced plans this morning to cut military activity around the capital of Kiev and in northern Ukraine, President Biden was asked about it following a meeting he held today at the White House with the prime minister of Singapore. Here's what he said. We'll see. I don't read anything into it until I see what their actions are. We'll see if they follow through on what they're suggesting. We'll find out what they do. But in the meantime, we're going to continue to keep strong the sanctions. We're going to continue to provide the Ukrainian military with their capacity to defend themselves. And we're going to continue to keep a close eye on what's going on. Now, this follows talks between Ukraine and Russia that you probably heard about, read about on Bloomberg. Talks that ended apparently with a bit of hope in the air. There was no ceasefire, no breakthrough, but enough progress was made to meet again. No date, no time announced. Also comes a day after the president rolled out the budget with the biggest defense spending request ever made. More than $813 billion. As we've reported, more than $680 million of that is going to Ukraine on top of what's already 
been approved. And this is where we want to begin with Congressman Brian Stile, Republican from Wisconsin, serves on the House Financial Services Committee and is with us now on Bloomberg Sound On. Congressman, welcome. It's great to have you. Is that money enough for Ukraine right now? Joe, thanks for having me on. I think what we are seeing is a realization that we need to be investing in the United States military at a period of time of really significant global threats, not only uh, in real time uh, from Russia, but in the long term uh, against our geopolitical struggles with China. And so it's a move in the right direction. But my biggest concern in this budget writ large is I don't think we're appropriately taking into account uh, the inflationary pressure that we're going to see. So when we really understand this, the budget the president put forward is projecting an average of inflation of 4.7 this year and down to 2.3% in 2023. I think those are rosy pictures. So the total dollar amount going into the defense going up, that's positive. Uh, but I think it's going to possibly be drowned out by the total inflationary environment we're in. More broadly, the the defense spending package is the biggest ever, at least if it's approved uh, as as it is now. Some think it should be larger. Some think it should be smaller. But as we consider the the new security challenges you just referred to in Europe and in Asia, is it enough? Well, I think the the question is not only is what is the input, but what's the output. So dollars in is one piece of this. I yeah. think we have an opportunity to very much to very significantly focus in and be very thoughtful and wise in our investments in key defense programs uh, that mm-hmm. allow us to project strength in a global perspective against Russia and China. So I think is it's that more that conventional in the right direction. more conventional hardware. I mean, we haven't been talking about tanks and missiles uh, for a while as we consider the prospect of what's going on right now in Europe. It's been much more uh, drone-based. It's been much more high-tech, cyber, for instance, or is the answer all of the above? The answer is a bit of all of the above, but I think you're correct in that it is a high-tech, next-generation level of weaponry. If you just look at what China has done on hypersonic missiles, in many ways, many defense experts will say they've leapfrogged U.S. technology. It's an important area for the United States to be investing in this technology. I don't want to try to turn you into a military analyst tonight. You're a member of the Financial Services Committee. You mentioned the concern about inflation. This was written around projections. This came up in the in the hearing today in the Budget Committee with the director of OMB. Projections based on where we were in November. It's a different world now, obviously. But a lot of questions as well about taxes in this plan as we consider raising more money, Congressman, including, including a proposed tax on unrealized gains. It's something that was floated last year and didn't happen as the Build Back Better plan in general didn't happen. But how would this work? Would this involve hiring a new fleet of IRS agents? How could we keep track of everyone's net worth on an annual basis? I I think one of the most dangerous proposals in the entire budget is this taxation on unrealized gains. It's a true proposal of a wealth tax, uh, which has been floated. It's incredibly unpractical to believe that this could occur. You can envision the, the debates one has in a, in a traditional M&A deal or the valuation of a company at any given time. Yeah. Imagine what that debate would look like if that was annual for every private company in the United States of America every year. It's an incredibly unrealistic program uh, and proposal, uh, and I think it's incredibly dangerous uh, to be floated well, that we're going to become ta- begin taxing unrealized gains. We're just trying to figure this out today. Uh, we've been asking questions at Bloomberg about it because we did go down this road over the summer. Is this a projection of values uh, as as the, the White House budget is known to be? Is this a political statement or is it something that actually could pass now that we know Joe Manchin is not on board, Kirsten Sinema is not on board, Richard Neal has other ideas. He thinks it should be a, a, a surcharge. 
is this isn't a real proposal, is it? I, I believe it's an idealistic proposal by some on those on the left. I also think it's a beginning of a negotiating position uh, from the progressive left. Uh, and a wealth tax would be their ultimate goal. I think it's wildly unwieldy to do. I think they'll then shift from there to raising taxes on realized gains and on earned income for high net worth individuals. I think at a period of time when we need to get workers back to work, we need to drive our economy forward. Raising taxes is the wrong approach. As we consider the the challenges we're facing specifically in Asia, you mentioned China, not in a military perspective, Congressman, but as we've heard, uh, an effort to compete better. And that brings us to legislation, this China Competes Act. It's had 10 different names already, but it includes the CHIPS Act. This is the $52 billion that would start to spawn, apparently, uh, some uh, domestic chip manufacturing. We've already seen some motion in that area with Intel announcing the plant in Ohio, among others, but this would actually make it happen legislatively. I know, Congressman, there's been a difference between the House and the Senate on this. The Senate finally got their version done. Is this going to become reality in the next couple of weeks? Can Congress get this passed? If we can come together on the on the core provisions, I think there is a chance that it will pass the House. I think we agree on the goal. We want to have semiconductor manufacturing onshored in the United States of America. The devil's in the details. The House version of the bill had a whole host of liberal policies and particulars related to the environment. We're now having a debate between the Senate bill and the House bill. The question is, can an agreement be reached on how to support semiconductor production here in the United States, but also getting rid of all of the bills that want to attach themselves to this vehicle? So what are you hearing, though? I mean, when when guys like me are not around, Congressman, uh, do you have uh, a gut check on this? Is there reason to believe this would pass? I, I do believe that there's a real likelihood that this is a piece of legislation that will ultimately go across the line. I'm concerned that it's going to be loaded uh, with a number of unpalatable proposals uh, on top of what is actually a good idea of making sure that we're producing semiconductor chips in the United States. So I would say it's likely uh, or reasonably likely that ultimately a bill will get through yet this Congress. I'm very mm-hmm. concerned that the final product uh, is less focused than it should be. We're going to talk uh, in, in just a bit here with uh, a marijuana lobbyist who has been working in Washington since long before this uh, came into vogue. But there's going to be a bill presented this week, Congressman, to decriminalize marijuana on the federal level. Will you vote on that bill? I think the number one thing we should do is put forward research dollars to understand the real impact that marijuana has in particular on young adults. The United States has not done federal research in this space. Uh, we've begun this experiment on a national level. I think the number one thing we should do is do research into what the implications are uh, before we move forward with a full federal legalization. So you'd be a no vote for now on that? At this point, I think step one is we should research it and make sure we understand what the significant yeah. uh, health concerns are that many doctors have as it relates in particular to young adults. I hate to ask the, the, the dumb question here, Congressman, but that's my job. And it has to do with with deficits and debt. Uh, it, as you well know, political parties find religion uh, on the on the deficit spending and the federal debt, typically when they're in the minority. And I know that you, the Republican Party has been giving this president a lot of uh, 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 criticism about spending. This budget that you and I started talking about here would lower deficit spending by a trillion dollars, according to the paperwork. Sounds great. And it's I, I'm sure something we can all agree is is good for our economy and our Treasury. It would still, however, leave 14 trillion dollars in defense in the deficit spending. Just to put that in perspective for people, 
at what point do we get serious about this? Or are we just going to go off the fiscal cliff here at some point? Uh, I'm very concerned about where we're at as our national debt has increased beyond $30 trillion. I think one unrealistic piece of this budget is the amount of debt service and debt interest that's ultimately going to have to be paid if the Federal Reserve truly moves up interest rates Mm -hmm. to the level many people expect. 1% interest rate movement on the national debt right now could easily play out to rough math $300 billion of additional fiscal pressure on the government. I think what we've seen uh, is wild spending over the past few years. So the reduction in deficit is only because the baseline the previous year was so wildly out of control. What we need to do is truly make a significant change. And my biggest concern is the combination of the monetary policy, if the interest rates go up with a $30 trillion uh, debt, the interest payments on the deficit on the debt could become Mm -hmm. very significant. A lot of talk about a recession. Lastly, Congressman, today was the day we saw the yield curve go inverted. Uh, you should have heard, my God, to be in the Bloomberg newsroom the day that happens is something else. Uh, how concerned are you about the R word? I, I think many people are concerned. I think the, one of the big concerns is as people are looking out and realizing that the Federal Reserve is serious about moving interest rates up, in my opinion, possibly slower than they should. Uh, and the implications that that has on borrowing for businesses, but also, again, the fiscal implications that a 1% move in interest rates will have on interest payments on the national debt when people combine the fiscal policy in Washington combined with the monetary policy that we're likely to see, uh, it does give me pause uh, that we have some uh, difficult times ahead. Appreciate the insights today. Congressman Brian Stile, Republican from Wisconsin. He's working on the Financial Services Committee. If you couldn't tell, I appreciate your time. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Uh, with us, Representative. This is just the beginning of this budget debate. This, this is going to go on. I mean, I, if you were with us yesterday, we reminded you that we just passed the current omnibus budget that we're operating under uh, like a week or two ago. We're already halfway through the fiscal year. So a lot of questions about whether this can be done before the next fiscal year. That's about six months away. That would be October. Look, I'm whispering like Joe Biden now. That would be October. Guess what's in November? Little election coming. Now, uh, the vote that I mentioned uh, briefly with the congressman about marijuana, this is something that's you can read about it on the terminal. This is real stuff. It was moving stocks today. As I read 
in the headline from Bloomberg Intelligence. Legal pot bills send stocks higher, but only banks may see relief. This will sound familiar. Short-term gains, pot stocks may continue as a bill to federally decriminalize marijuana will likely pass the House. You think that that is something? Though the legislation has little chance in the Senate. Just like the last 10 times we talked about this. It came up today in the leadership briefing. As we hear from Hakeem Jeffries, uh, he talked about it in the briefing before he appeared on Balance of Power here on Bloomberg. Listen to what he said. Americans across the political spectrum, particularly younger Americans, recognize that now is the time for cannabis reform. Be good for the economy, good for economic activity, good for public safety, good for social, racial, and economic justice. That's the leadership talking. The head of the Democratic caucus, they say he's in line to be speaker someday. Congressman Hakeem Jeffries of New York. If you talk to Chuck Schumer, he sounds the same way. But this still does not have the votes to get through the Senate. And that's where we begin our conversation with Michael Correa, Director of Government Relations for the National Cannabis Industry Association. There's only one man in Washington known as the pot lobbyist. And that's Michael, evidenced by his Twitter handle. It's great to have you, Michael. Thank you. This is getting to be a recurring uh, film here where the House gets legislation, whether it's the Safe Banking Act or this one now from Jerry Nadler, it passes and then it dies a quick death in the Senate. Will this time be different? Uh, No, and thanks, Joe, for having me. As a former uh, House of Representatives staffer who worked there 15 years, we always used to joke the Senate is where we send our bills to die. And so yeah. I don't think I don't think anything changes. It's more of the same. It's definitely more hyperpartisan than when I was there. And cannabis is no different. Um, but you've talked about the bills that have passed the House. You know, something like the Safe Banking Act has passed mm-hmm. six different times with super majorities, 100, 100 Republican co-sponsors, 300 plus votes. It's been amazing. And you had... A bill that may come up this week, the Moore Act, which you mentioned, yes. passed in December of 2020. That was more a party line vote. Uh, there were about five or six Republicans that supported it and about five or six Democrats who didn't support it. So it was a very it just got by with a small majority. It was a um, more of a partisan bill, mm-hmm. but uh, neither bill has ever seen, you know, will I, I expect to see the light of day in the Senate, but uh, looking forward to having a good discussion on stuff around cannabis. (laughs) Well, geez, you know, what keeps getting you out of bed in the morning, uh, Michael, and when you consider this, you know, look, this is one, by the way, would remove cannabis from the list of federally controlled substances, eliminate criminal penalties. This is on a federal level associated with the drug. You heard the congressman uh, speaking just a couple of moments ago. He says, put more money into researching this. What's actually holding it up? Why can't it pass the Senate? So, and, and I respect the congressman's view, um, and this is one of the things, you know, I've been doing this for nine years, yeah. uh, and as you mentioned, I began before there were legal sales in Colorado and Washington State, and so right. the world was different in 2012, going around Capitol Hill and being like, you represent what? You represent who? And then just <laughs> trying to be in taking seriously to where now you were having bills pass the House multiple times, and 
we're having hopefully the majority leader of the Senate, Chuck Schumer, introduce right. his own legalization bill. Like you've seen the maturity of the industry and the changing, but it's still the fact that uh, Congress uh, as a whole, um, especially the Senate, the Senate tends to be older, a little more conservative as a whole. Yeah is not caught up with where, where America is. And, well, how about you this know, White House uh, after promises on the campaign trail by Joe Biden? <laughs> uh, what's you, going I mean, on the other end of Pennsylvania Avenue? So one, I, I think it, it gets back to a lot of the demographic trends in cannabis, although America overwhelmingly is supporting this issue and overwhelmingly thinks that this should be left up to the states and you see state after state after state doing it. Mm-hmm. You see a lot of uh, older people uh, who tend to have these views. And I'm old enough to remember I grew up in the Just Say No 80s. I remember that. <laughs> Joe Biden's a lot older than me, and he was yeah. probably responsible for writing many of the tough on crime laws and anti-drug That's laws right. in this country. And I think he ran a, on this, know, though. He ran on it. A exactly. lot of progressives are very upset with him about it. And this is a business story, as we're going to discuss with the panel in just a moment. Uh, are, you know, lastly here with the pot lobbyist. I don't know how you managed to get to, to, to secure that name on Twitter. Although I guess how many it, it, could there be? It was different. It was different thirteen years or uh, boy, I bet that's thirteen. Right. It was genius for one of these days it'll actually be worth something. But yeah. it is like you mentioned Joe Biden. It is the voters, his voters, Democratic voters and a population are there. Right. It's just individually. I think he has these views that are hard to reconcile in his head. So maybe didn't believe And that everything. is a lot of the educating we need to be doing, and especially with the Senate. And you asked, you know, uh, why isn't anything going on in the Senate? I hate to say yeah. this. It's not uh, cannabis prohibitionists who are opposing a bill like the Safe Banking Act. It is, it is our friends in advocacy. You have someone like uh, Cory Booker of New Jersey, yes, right. who is a fan of the issue. You have Chuck Schumer of New York, majority leader who wants to solve and the this issue. whole equality issue is slowing exactly. down the banking issue i understand but this is something that we're actually fairly savvy about on this broadcast but yeah. uh, michael i appreciate it i wish i had more time with you let's stay in touch though because these keep coming up michael korea let's assemble the panel bloomberg politics contributors Jeannie shanzano with us now along with george c chair of both Annandale Capital and the Clement Center for National Security. It's great to have both of you with us. Jeannie, we're talking about Democrats last uh, five, ten minutes here with the pot lobbyist. How about that for a title? Imagine handing out that credit card at cocktail parties in Washington. He says nothing's changed in 15 years. These bills pass the House. They die in the Senate. How come? Yeah, I want a title like that. I, I don't have anything good <laughs> like that, Joe. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it is fascinating. It, yeah, and I, he's absolutely right. This is not going to pass the Senate. And, you know, of course, we have what, about 37 states with medical use is legalized and 18 recreational use. So they, the states are truly, really the laboratories of democracy. And the federal government catches up very, very slowly. I do think there is a generational aspect, as, as uh, Michael was saying. I also think it's important you just talked about i mean joe biden's uh budget that he just put forward what's not included in their marijuana mm-hmm. protections right. shocking to me because uh, democrat support is going down with young people it needs to go the other way and for a budget that was designed to turn things around for the midterm this is not one area where he's helping himself george this is supposed to be a money maker we're talking about we, we've seen it already happen as Jeannie's referencing on the state level with tens of millions of dollars in taxes being generated imagine of the money that could be generated on the federal level, you would think that, you know, if money talks in Washington, that would get lawmakers on board. How come it's not happened? 
Well, I'll be honest. I've heard zero about this issue in Texas. We're not really talking about it or focused on it. We've been riveted by watching Ukraine and watching the cry for freedom over there. So I'm not surprised that that money's behind a lot of this pot legalization effort. But I, I really don't. I don't feel enthralled to make it a federal issue. I'm, I'm comfortable yeah. just leaving it to states and letting the states decide it. Well, the money that was passed for Ukraine is certainly a federal issue, uh, George, and we're looking at another good chunk. It's not nearly the billions that we saw a couple of weeks ago when the president was preparing for his trip to Europe, but another $680 million goes to Ukraine as part of this defense spending budget, and they both kind of speak to each other in this spending plan that the president rolled out here. Uh, Are we going in the right direction, or are we going to find ourselves with Ukraine hanging in the balance, potentially no more Ukraine when we could have been spending more and sending more? Well, you know, it's funny. I think the conventional wisdom was that Russia was just going to mop up with them very, very quickly. Either they were going to lay down or that, that Russia was just going to devastate them. And the, 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 the fierce uh, opposition that the Ukrainians have brought forth, I think, has inspired the world, frankly, no matter what you think of Russia or Ukraine yeah. in, in, in total. And I, I do think the Biden administration has been pretty cautious about the way they've approached this. But I, I mostly would give the president, quite frankly, as a Republican conservative, high marks for the way he's handled this. I think there's been a lot of restraint. I think they've been very cautious about poking Russia in the eye, which would be incredibly foolish. And, and mm-hmm. voices calling for that, I think, are, are not very bright, frankly. How about and that? at this point, I think I think that we can get, we can try to get more aggressive about the aid. I don't think we can give them too much aid in defending themselves. I think this is a, a, a fight worth giving in terms of the amount of military and humanitarian aid we can put in there. Yeah. We, should be, we should be on the front lines of that without crossing the red line of of NATO involvement, because that's just incredibly foolish to do something like that. This is exactly where we're going to pick up next with Ambassador James Jeffrey, and we'll reassemble the panel a bit later this hour to continue the conversation with Jeannie Shanzano and George C. James Jeffrey, former ambassador to Iraq, Turkey, Albania as well, and former national security advisor in the W. Bush administration. We'll talk about this next. Is this another head fake now from Russia talking about de-escalation? He's next. This is Bloomberg. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Watch what they do, not what they say, is the general feel inside the Biden administration today. 
after Russia announced plans to cut military activity in Kiev and in northern Ukraine. As you just heard from Charlie, you gave the markets a lift. You should have seen uh, the oil prices just turn on a dime. Maybe you were watching it as that happened this morning during Bloomberg surveillance. I mean, it's just a matter of seconds for everything to turn around. But the Pentagon is sounding a lot like the president here. And of course, well, it's the same administration. You heard President Biden a bit earlier this hour say as much. You know, he's he wants to see action. It's it's not words because we've been through this before. John Kirby, the spokesman for the Pentagon, speaking to this as well. Here he is. We largely assess that they are in a defensive posture. They have they have uh, several days ago stopped trying to advance on Kiev and sort of took up defensive positions. I look back through my notes. It was a Tuesday just like this one about five weeks ago when right around the same time of day, there was a headline, Russia, de-escalation. We're bringing the military drills to an end. Remember, they were bringing, they were going back to base. We even saw a video of this massive train loaded with tanks heading away from Ukraine. The war was over, even though it hadn't begun. Oil prices went down, stocks went up. I did go back and check my notes. The invasion took place five days later. It's a pleasure to introduce James Jeffrey now. As I mentioned to you, he was coming in, former ambassador to Iraq, Turkey, Albania, former deputy national security advisor, special envoy to the Global Coalition to Defeat ISIS, now chair of the Wilson Center Middle East Program. Ambassador, welcome. Do you believe that Thank the skepticism on, Joe. is uh, is well-deserved? Thank you. Is the skepticism well-deserved today? Um, the skepticism is sensible but shouldn't be carried too far. Uh, we have seen the Russians, you gave a good example, negotiate and fight at the same time and mm-hmm. lie. Uh, I've been involved in two negotiations uh, at the top levels, uh, on Georgia in 2008 and uh, recently on Syria. Uh, in both cases, we managed to get the Russians to finally agree to a compromise, a ceasefire proposal uh, uh, with the French in 2008 in Georgia and uh, de facto uh, since 2018 in Syria. But it's rough going. Zelensky has his work cut out negotiating with them. But I wouldn't rule out the possibility because uh, on the ground, the Russian forces are not able to advance. That's the reality that they have to deal with. You've dealt personally with Vladimir Putin uh, on a number of occasions. Uh, on several occasions. Do you trust anything yes, he on says? Several occasions. Uh, pardon? Would you trust anything that he says? Why negotiate with a war criminal? Um, well, you negotiate all the time with war criminals. Uh, there's very few ne- negotiations are designed to uh, avoid worse uh, catastrophes, including uh, major wars, and the people you're dealing with are often very nice. Uh, Do we want to go to war with him? No, we didn't in 2008. We didn't in 2018, and we don't now. So you negotiate one way or the other. That doesn't mean you trust him. Of course. Is the U.S. taking the right posture on the border? Are you worried that Vladimir Putin, for instance, attacks our supply chains going into Ukraine? I don't think he will. I think if he does, we will have no choice but to uh, retaliate militarily, and I believe that President Biden is ready to do that. I have to ask you, Ambassador, about the Iran nuclear deal. We've been hearing quite a bit about it. We've heard accusations that Iran is trying to run out the clock. I know this is something you're intimately familiar with here. Is it something that is actually going to help America's standing in the world if we got this back on track? Um, It will 
ease one problem, which is Iran on the cusp of a nuclear weapon, because it pushes it back a few years. But just like the negotiations with Russia, the Iranians are bad actors whose goal, like Putin's, is to overturn the international order that we and many other countries benefit from and support. And what we're doing with these negotiations is trying to, as the president said in the State of the Union address on Russia, make our side stronger and their side weaker. Yeah. Uh, but the uh, proof is in the pudding in either both negotiations. We'll have to wait on the Iranian one. It may uh, break very soon and get an agreement, or we may not. What would it mean for energy? This is obviously directly tied to the Russia-Ukraine story here as we seek more sources of oil and gas to try to starve Russia of its main source of income. Okay, Joe, you've got an amateur on oil and gas, but I'll do my best. Uh, Russia... <laughs> Uh, exports, other than to China, about three-plus million barrels of oil a day. Uh, Iran, if it uh, was able to come back online, which would be one of the consequences of an agreement uh, to return to the joint uh, uh, nuclear agreement, uh, would bring on an additional uh, one million-plus barrels, possibly more after a few months. So it would have a significant effect on oil-slash-oil markets, it wouldn't do much for gas markets, but right now the main concern, as you just pointed out, and as we heard on the uh, stock uh, market uh, soundings and uh, prices, uh, oil is the key uh, factor right now. It always takes a man of great experience to refer to themselves as an amateur, from my experience. Uh, when we consider the next week or so in Ukraine, Ambassador, this is said to be a pivotal moment here as Russia potentially regroups and decides what to do after weeks of being bogged down. Is there anything else the U.S. can do other than stand by, continue to obviously send the money and material into the country? Is there anything else that we can do to protect civilians in Ukraine? Uh, former Congressman Jane Harmon and I have recommended to start working on a U.N.-endorsed, it would be the General Assembly because Russia would block it in the Security Council, uh, uh, ceasefire slash humanitarian zone in the west of the country where we don't have Russian ground troops uh, mm -hmm. to keep the refugees and uh, displaced persons there rather than have them flee all over Europe. But that would also give a refuge if the Russians are able to mount a new offensive. It would also mean uh, in a peacekeeper role, American and other troops going in not to attack the Russians, but simply to defend a humanitarian operation. Uh, I think we need to start thinking about that either before or after a ceasefire, yeah, if we get one with these negotiations. Ambassador James Jeffrey, we thank you for being with us. Appreciate the time and insights today on Bloomberg Sound On. He, by the way, little inside information. He was joining us from the business class lounge at Doha International Airport. So if we weren't understanding everything, that might have had something to do with it. By the way, Jane Harmon will be on Balance of Power tomorrow at noon on Bloomberg TV and radio. And we'll reassemble the panel next right here on Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry 
and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Skepticism abounds here inside the Beltway today following the news from Russia that was enough to lift the markets. I have to admit the markets are typically more savvy than Washington when it comes to all of this. But yeah, we've heard this before. We've just as we discussed with the ambassador heard from Moscow about de-escalation only to be followed by another mobilization and there are reports that in fact russia could be in the middle of that right now potentially refreshing reloading and surrounding kiev in the end we're just going to have to wait to see what happens next as we reassemble the panel following our conversation with ambassador james jeffrey Jeannie shanzano is with us bloomberg politics contributors today along with george c chair of both annandale capital and the clements center for national security uh, Jeannie, the skepticism that we're talking about here at the White House is clearly well-deserved. How long would you give the Russians another opportunity here to pull back? Uh, you know, I, I think the White House and the Pentagon are, are making the right point. You, you have to wait and see what they do and not listen to what they say. I think a big concern out of all of this for the administration, who has worked, they've worked so hard to keep the allies together, is that there are reports that there are some significant breaks with the allies. For instance, Germany and France on the president's comments over the weekend, those nine words that he uttered, Germany and France on whether to talk to Putin, you know, the president on the phone today trying to convince them to keep sending necessary arms. So this is the job the administration is going to have to do. They're going to have to keep their eye on the ball until they see significant behavioral change versus statements out of Russia. Where are you on this, George? There is a split apparently in NATO. We've talked about this and a piece was written on the terminal about it yesterday, where you've got France and Germany in one place, they want to continue talking. But a lot of our other NATO allies are not just skeptical, but think it's just it's just a waste of time to be talking to someone the president refers to as a war criminal. I think you can make a pretty credible argument that NATO has been a paper tiger since 1989, and that this, this Ukrainian incursion by Putin has unified it more than it has been in decades. And yes, you're going to have disagreements. And yes, France and Germany are always going to be more on the appease Russia side because they're a lot closer to Russia than we are because that's their natural posture. And there's been quite a bit of commerce going back and forth between those two countries and Russia. But Mm -hmm. I I think NATO is the healthiest it's been in in quite some time. I'm actually encouraged by uh, the, the, the amount of unity there's been. The way the ambassador described that, though, George, to be conducting negotiations even as you're fighting, it's the only way to achieve a ceasefire, right? I think that, that Macron and, and the Germans are, are playing real politic, a la Henry Kissinger style. And I think I think President Biden is dealing in idealistic uh, virtue signaling, uh, similar to his predecessor, George W. Bush, did. And I think this calls for real politic. And I, I, I do think that the Allies did have a right, although I complimented the main way, 
Yeah. President Biden has handled this conflict. He, he made a very bad error over the weekend in saying several rash things that were not accurate, like we would we would uh, reciprocate with chemical weapons and, and that um, we wanted regime change. He claims he didn't say it, but he kind of did. And they, it had to be walked back. And I'd be a little mad if I were them, too. So a little division is to be expected. These are complicated issues. You'd be mad if you were our European allies or if you were Vladimir Putin, you're saying? I would be I would be mad if I was all three. I, I don't think you say <laughs> but you think this is getting in the way of diplomacy is your point. No question. You know, if, if of course we want Putin gone, but you don't call for it publicly. Well, you know, of course, Jeannie, uh, we talked about this yesterday. He, he wasn't walking these back. He was cleaning them up to say, yeah, of course. I mean, you think he's a war criminal, but that's not the policy of the United States. Is it possible to draw that line now that you've had more time to think about it? It's very difficult to draw that line when you're the president of the United States, which is a particular position. So we can all understand and appreciate how Joe Biden feels. Nobody wants Vladimir Putin to remain, at least from the West, in the presidency. But the president has an obligation to be very careful. And more importantly, because he distracts from what was otherwise a very successful trip and a successful effort, again, to keep this coalition together. And, you know, on top of all of those things that they are dealing with in terms of the allies, They also have domestic considerations. I mean, Macron is up for Mm re-election. He wants to establish himself as, you know, the Russian whisperer over in Europe. These are all considerations that they've got to keep in in mind, top of mind, as they try to keep this really contentious alliance together. I agree with George. They've done a really good job. It's stronger than it has been. But it could also disintegrate or at least break apart fairly quickly and that's what the administration has to guard against still no sanctions legislation on capitol hill george does it matter yeah all this matters it's 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 playing three-dimensional chess and there's so many variables and factors ongoing with this thing but i I would take some issue with with partisans on either side who uh criticize the president of the other party on everything 100 percent of the time i don't Mm -hmm. think that's very effective and outside of the rash statements over the weekend I think the administration has really handled this well. We just don't want it to spiral out of control. We want to support the Ukrainians as much as we possibly can and get the Russians out of there in a ceasefire as soon as possible and, and not uh, make it a lot worse than it could be. Right now, it's just a, it's a, it's a regional conflict with a whole lot of human yeah. tragedy. But on a grand strategy scale, geopolitically, it's, it's not that big a deal yet. On the sanctions front, Jeannie, the Treasury has been uh, certainly leaning into this. Does Congress need to show up with something? I mean, my goodness, even if it's... Uh, uh, something that that's already been done. The amount of talk that has come from Capitol Hill without anything to show for it, uh, it is getting to be a little bit long in the tooth here. This is this war is a month old. It's a month old. You know, it's one of the rare times in which we see bipartisan in Washington, at least lip service to bipartisanship. Everybody agrees that things should be done. You know, the scale and how much and those kinds of things, there's differences. But, you know, certainly I would like to see them do something on sanctions. I think most people would. But quite frankly, the president and the the executive can also handle a good deal of that. But I think for Congress's sake, they should step up and try to get something passed. But I wouldn't hold my breath on that. Well, I'll tell you, we're going to have uh, an interesting time watching this unfold at the same time as the budget debate continues or begins, I guess. The CHIP Act still not done on that front either. You start wondering, Jeannie, how much can get done in a midterm election year. Uh, I asked uh, Congressman Style about that a little bit earlier. He seems to think that the China Competes Act does get done in the near term. Do you agree? 
You know, I, I think it can get done. I was happy to hear that he was optimistic about it. I think there is some optimism on that. And Joe, I hope you're just whispering every time you talk about <laughs> this midterm from now on. That was, that's that's the best. Um, I, I do think we can be a little bit optimistic that they may be able to move forward, but it's going to depend an awful lot on both sides, and particularly the Democrats in the House, making sure that the focus is on competitiveness with China and that they aren't shoving things into the legislature legislation that's going to turn yeah. aside the members of the Senate, particularly those moderates. How important is it that get passed, George? Very much so. My, my senior senator, John Corn has been an active proponent and backer for several years now. And I think that the American people have gotten wise of the fact that, that it's not a miracle. Um, it's, it's, it's only a miracle when things happen in Congress. It's usually the case they don't happen in Congress. And this act should have been passed a long time ago. And they're, yeah. they're so dysfunctional, it's bogged down. It, 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 it takes... 50 times as long as it should, but I, I'm optimistic. This is such a no-brainer that I, I think it's going to get through. I hope it gets through. It's, it's I think we were talking to the Commerce Secretary about this last fall. It's really been a wait. Uh, George C., thanks so much for the time and insights today. And, of course, Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributor with us here on the Fastest Hour in Politics as we we end with a couple of thoughts about Don Young, who's today lies in State Statuary Hall. In the house that he called home for longer than any Republican ever, and that's something, the dean of the house, congressman from Alaska, the longest-serving Republican in congressional history, died a week ago at age 88. President Biden, among those paying respects today, went up to Capitol Hill. Libby Casey's obituary in the Washington Post uh, recalls a great story, as she says, one of the great stories of Capitol Hill folklore. Early in John Boehner's career, back when he was a freshman, Gave a floor speech railing against earmarks and suddenly found himself, as I read from the post, shoved up against the back wall of the House chamber with a 10-inch knife to his throat. His assailant, Representative Don Young. He held the blade at my throat, screaming at me, recalls Boehner. Young deemed the story mostly true, claimed the knife blade wasn't actually open. (laughs) He spoke about his career as well and the prospect of retiring. I think that was him right there. Listen to him talking to the Washington Post. This idea of retirement has always been one I cannot understand why people retire when they like what they're doing. George Miller's gone. He's a dear friend of mine, but he's leaving. Henry Waxman's gone. I can go through the list of people who retired, and um, I really don't know why they retired. My goal is to live to be 90 and serve until I serve 50 years. How's that sound? Not many have done that. Made it to 88, 49 years of service. March is Women's History Month. Every day this month, we're celebrating significant moments with Bloomberg's Renita Young. Here she is now. On this day in women's history in 1993, Catherine Kalbeck becomes the first woman elected as premier in Canada. She led Prince Edward Island and was among female pioneers in Canadian politics. Despite growing up hearing politics was not a place for women, Kalbeck successfully ran for office in the House of Commons in 1974, serving for four years. For a decade after that, Kalbeck worked in her family's hardware, building, furniture and appliances business, returning to politics in 1988. Although two other women reached premier status before her through party or legislative selection, Colbeck was unique because she became the first woman in Canada elected premier in a general election. That's Today in Women's History. I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Radio. 
Thanks, Renita, and to everyone for jumping in here. The fastest hour in politics. Congressman Brian Style, Michael Correa, the pot lobbyist, and Ambassador James Jeffrey making us smarter today along with our panel, Jeannie and George. We'll meet you back here tomorrow for more Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.